Happy Friday and welcome to Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. We've got a big show on tap. Here's a lineup for tonight. Which Adobe is it? A solid winner going into earnings week or a figurative dried mud brick? Carter Worth will model that out for us, maybe even in clay. Then, Tony Zhang continues to rain on cloud computing plays. Find out which name he thinks lightning won't strike twice. Plus, naked. And now that we have your attention, Professor Ko busts some very outlandish myths out there about naked shorts and the meme stocks. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. Adobe is out with earnings next week, and like its namesake, Mud Bricks, the chart master thinks this name is solid and strong. Carter, what do you see? I do, and uh, it's it's timely. And now, one of the things about timing is you can you can get the direction wrong, but we're playing for a breakout in response to earnings. Several charts. The first is a two-panel, and what you see, of course, is that Adobe just this week has returned to where it was almost a year ago, in late August, early September. And the principle of a breakout is that after some backing and filling, you typically can exceed a prior high. Really equally important at the absolute level is the relative, the bottom panel. That is relative performance to the S&P 500. So what we know is as Adobe has gone sideways for eight, nine, ten months, it has by definition gone down relative, right? It's been underperforming. But see, it's just starting to show relative outperformance to the S&P. That's very important. All right, several ways to draw the lines, just to the absolute Adobe chart. The first, as you see there, you can call that an ascending uh, triangle, if you want, or a wedge. doesn't matter what you call it. The next one, this is a big sort of rounding bottom in the context of the sideways action of the past 10 months. The next one, is it a cup and handle? Again, you can call it whatever you want. But these formations over time uh, throughout history, while not infallible, have been reliable. Uh, more often than not. The next one, is it a head and shoulders, bottom of sorts, within this consolidation pattern? And then the final one, sort of putting uh, a couple of them together. Essentially a key moment at a key former high. Now you make your bets. We think it will break out and exceed the former high. All right. So, Mike, what is the trade here for Adobe? Yeah, so uh, Adobe, we obviously have the stock trading uh, essentially at all-time highs right here, right now. That might make it uh, kind of a tough reach to go out and actually buy the shares. Obviously, with earnings coming up, we see that familiar regime of higher short-term implied volatilities relative to the longer-term implied vol. So we want to try to take advantage of that dynamic. Now, I would point out right now this company not cheap, trading 40 times forward earnings, 42 times probably, but that's actually below the five-year average of about 44 times. One of the reasons for that, we have 20% top-line growth, and there's a lot of good tailwinds for the company right now. Creative Cloud, obviously one of the things we're seeing really helping to propel their business, and the small and mid-sized business recovery that we're really expecting here should also provide a bit of a tailwind. So. One way to make a bullish bet is to buy a longer-dated September 540 call. Those were trading for a little over $28 when I was looking at that earlier today. And then look to sell some of that elevated short-dated premium. I was looking at the June 555 calls. Those were just under $5. Net-net, you would lay out about $23.75 per share. That's about or just under 4.5% of the current stock price to make a bullish bet. Now, a quick point. We often use diagonals, the idea being that you can sell that shorter dated elevated premium 
but also ensure that you can't be wrong if the stock overshoots your upside target. Here that's not quite the case because we're laying out just over $23 and the distance between these strikes is 15. That said, the stock's really going to have to make a strong move by the end of next week for this to be a loser to the upside. So we're really trying to take advantage of that implied volatility dynamic, own longer dated calls as a lower risk way to be long the stock and also lay out less premium than buying these relatively high priced shares outright. Tony, what's your take on Adobe and what's your take on the trade? Uh, I quite like this because as Carter's charts show you, you have a very clear breakout after a long consolidation period. But the most important part is that relative strength factor that Carter was showing you. I think he showed you a chart of Adobe relative to SPY breaking out relative to the market, but it's also breaking out relative to technology as well, its sector. And I think that's extremely constructive heading into earnings. And if you look at the business, Mike referred to uh, the top line growth, 20% top line growth. Um, but from my perspective, 40% profit margins and the fact that 90% of their business comes from subscriptions and they're a clear leader in their particular space leads me to believe that they're going to have another strong quarter here. And as Mike's uh, trade here, it's a great example of taking advantage of this term structure skew where he's selling short, shorter dated, higher implied volatility options and buying uh, lower implied volatility, longer dated options. And as he said, the, the risk here is really if you do get a significant upshoot uh, of this particular stock, you could underperform. But he is only risking 4.5% of the stock's value to take this trade. And I think it's a great way to play upside in a stock that's trading at all-time highs. Mike, uh, last word on this trade? Yeah, I mean, the critical thing here, and we, this is a fairly familiar phenomenon. You know, we obviously have had a long bull market. We have a lot of stocks trading essentially at their all-time highs, not necessarily their all-time peak multiples, though, which speaks to the operating strength of a lot of these companies. I think Adobe is a good example. So, you know, this, there's two things you want to pay attention to. Obviously, the market capitalization, the top valuation, but also how does that compare to the historical valuations for these businesses? Some of these companies high as they are, are actually trading at lower multiples than they have on average over the last two to five years. All right, let's stick with the tech here. Cloud security company Okta had a nice run this week, but Tony thinks there's too much fog in the forecast for this cloud company. Tony, what do you see? Yeah, that's exactly right. While security is kind of at the top of mind for a lot of investors, I do think on this particular cloud security stock, there is potential some, so there is some potential downside here. If we take a look at the chart itself here, the stock is trading in a very wide range between 210 and 290. And recently, we've seen some lower highs here. It did have a strong week, and I actually think that strength here this week is the opportunity to look for some uh, short exposure as it tests that 210 support level. And the reason that I think that it could potentially break that major support level is because if you look at the stock relative to its sector, XLK, it's already broken those support levels. And that is a suggestion that we could see some further declines. And if you look at the business itself, it's basically almost the exact opposite of what we're seeing with Adobe. Yes, top line growth is pretty decent at 20, 25% year over year, but EPS is down 82% over that same amount of time. And especially when you have a stock that's trading at extremely rich valuations at 30 times sales and quarter over quarter revenue growth is slowed down to single digits, that's gonna be a recipe that I think is gonna be hard for these stocks to sustain this valuation. 
So the trade structure that I'm using reflects what I see as potential sizable downside if it does break below that $210 support level is to, is to take advantage of the fact that implied volatility here is extremely cheap. It's actually in at its lowest um, we've seen over the past year. By going out to August and buying the 220 190 put spread here. I'm, I'm paying about $11.90 to pay for the August 220 puts. That's an out of the money put. And then I'm selling the August 190 puts against it, collecting about $3.30, uh, paying net net here about $8.60 for this put vertical, which is less than 4% of this vertical of the stock's price and the reason for this is really just because we are going into a strong market taking a bearish position is not particularly favorable for for a lot of investors so trying to keep the risk as low as possible is the way i want to play this low probability high potential reward mike what's your take yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things we often look for when we try to look at put spreads, we try to take advantage of the fact, sometimes we try to take advantage of term structure, where we try to find the cheapest implied volatility, sell the most expensive. That also applies when you're looking at at-the-money options versus out-of-the-money puts. Typically, out-of-the-money puts will trade at higher implied volatilities. That gets the math working for you. Oftentimes, with these put spreads, we're looking for about a three-to-one payoff. This one doesn't quite achieve that. But that's actually justified when we consider that within the last two months, this was a stock that was trading almost $290. So to get down to that 190 strike from call it 225 or wherever the stock closed today, not a big move given how much the stock has demonstrated it can move. And so I think this is a good way to make a bearish play here. Carter, how are the charts? Well, I think there, uh, the situation is, is this, and, and Tony described quite a bit of it. But to think of the IPO was only uh, back in 2017. Okta is ahead of Tesla. I mean, you're talking about a stock that came out at $17 a share, hit 290. That's the bullish part. But a bullish to bearish reversal is something that after a great run starts to stall and roll over. And that's exactly what this is. You're seeing bearish price volume correlation, poor relative strength. Tony discussed it. And that is not a good setup. The great run up and then the rollover. All right. Going to take a break now. Um, do you guys out there miss us a lot over the weekend? Well, here's a solution. Check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. We've also got a newsletter perfect for your return to brunch chat. Here's what's coming up next. An adaptation of the emperor's new clothes. There are some very fanciful tales out there about naked shorts. Professor Co. corrects the record with a Cliff Notes version on how they really work. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. AMC having another big day. The stock rallying 15%. If you caught us on Fast Money this week, you probably heard a lot of discussion around AMC and naked shorts. So we want to take a moment to explain this concept, what exactly it is and what it is not. Professor Ko, why don't you start us off? Okay, well, we should probably just start by talking about what shorting stocks is to begin with. When you sell a stock short, what's going on is you're borrowing the shares. You do not already own them. Now, there are a couple of reasons why people might sell stock that they don't already own. One is obviously to speculate that the price might fall and that they can buy it back at a profit at some lower price in the future. Another reason would obviously be to hedge. So sometimes you'll see people shorting stock against other positions that they own. So that's not an outright bearish bet. 
but they obviously have a good reason to do it. And finally, and one of the most significant reasons, is just for bona fide market making activity. Obviously, market makers stand in the middle of the market. They create liquidity. When people are looking to sell shares, they are often selling them to market makers. And when they go to buy shares, they are buying them from market makers. And they maintain inventory. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short. Now, naked shorts refer to circumstances where people who are selling the stock short did not first validate that they could actually get a borrow on those shares. Now, there are some exemptions in the marketplace for people to do this. Market makers are among the groups that get exemptions. So we sometimes hear about people having institutions having loopholes. It's not a hedge fund loophole. There's no loophole for them. There's no loophole for individual investors either. Bonafide market making activity, though, does have an exemption. The other thing I would quickly point out is that the whole issue here is whether if you sell stock short, you are actually able to deliver the shares at settlement, which right now is two days after the current trade date. The thing is, there are stiff regulatory requirements around this. So we can actually track how much of this activity is going on by looking at something called the fail to deliver. So this is a report that is issued by the SEC, and it tells us each day the cumulative number of shares that those who are supposed to deliver failed to do so. Not every failure to deliver, by the way, is the result of a short sale. Now, I have heard people talk about the possibility that many times the existing float of shares is actually out there naked short and that we can look at these failure to deliver reports and we can see that actually the magnitude is significantly smaller than that. We did see big fails to deliver early in the year in both AMC and GME sometimes reaching as much, in the case of AMC, as 40% of a day's trading volume. But since the beginning of the year, the average failure to deliver has actually been, on average, less than 2%. 70-plus percent of the time, it's been well less than 1% of the average daily trading volume in either of these two stocks. So the important thing, I think, for people to remember is you hear these things, it sounds like there might be a loophole, there's a magic way to do it, there isn't. There are stiff regulatory penalties for not adhering to this, and I think really what people ought to be focusing on is that when you see elevated short interest, you see increasing borrowing costs, though that combined with just ever rising prices, that creates the dynamic of a short squeeze. That's one of the reasons that we see this really highly volatile price action in conjunction, obviously, with all the momentum created by things like the Wall Street Bets Reddit crowd. Right. Here's here's a, a you know a big question, and that is with so much trading in terms of total volume every day off public exchanges, Carter, do you think we actually have a good sense of what is going on in, in these off-exchange platforms, you know, wholesalers or in the dark pool? Well, there, there is no way to, to answer the question because it is just, as you say, sort of off the grid, dark, all the things that they're referred to. Um, but what we do know is that uh, hyperactivity is not new. It, it, again, it happens in pink sheet stocks all the time for generations, and and essentially uh, things like AMC. I mean, AMC was down at a dollar ninety-seven, right? I mean, uh, GME was down at, at two dollars. And so while uh, most pink sheets and, and these are not pink sheets companies uh, officially, most low price stocks don't end up going up a hundred and two hundred thousand percent, if you will. But the the circumstance of this is not new. I, I think that's very important. It happens to be a new era with the internet and reddits and tweets and but this has been going on since time immemorial. Right. Tony, your take? 
Yeah, so I don't think debate here is whether or not naked shorts exist. I think what Mike is trying to show you is the fact that the magnitude of which, if it does happen, that we're seeing it. Now, I will say this is not particularly my area of expertise, but the one thing I really want to help investors better understand is that when you're thinking about shorting a stock, the, the reason that we're here to talk about options here is to protect your downside. And when you're shorting a stock, whether you're doing it uh, selling short or even if you're doing it naked, you have unlimited risk to the upside. So that's why we advocate for using strategies like a put spread if you're very bearish on a particular stock like I am on Okta, or if you're more mildly bearish on a particular stock, protect yourself by selling, let's say, a call credit spread. That's going to protect you if you are caught in a short squeeze from that unlimited loss to the upside uh, in, in, in a stock that you're bearish on. Carter, let's go back to AMC specifically. We saw a big run in today's session. Volatile week, um, no surprise. What do you see in the charts for AMC? Sure, uh, and we might have one here uh, before you. So it's all sort of very sequential, if you will. Before looking at the chart, one judgment does have to be made. The high of June 2nd, $72.62, will that be exceeded? I would say no. Right? So now it's a question of can we trade it this day, that day, make or lose? And uh, the hunch is that, yes, if you get it down into the 40s, low 30s, I think you take a shot at it. If it's back towards sort of the 68, 70, I think you fade it and you play it and that's the only way you can play it. But I think it's important to make that statement that GameStop's high at 483, um, that's, that's permanent. Uh, we're nowhere near that, right? We're half that. And I would say the 72.62 high for AMC is also going to end up being the high. All right. Up next, a look back on an auto-related trade that is coming up on a milestone. We'll be back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Tony laid out a roadmap for a trade around advanced auto parts. If we take a long-term chart here of, of advanced auto parts, what you see is that this is a stock that really has made no, uh, no outperformance here over the past year, past five years or so, and has actually underperformed the market significantly over that amount of time. But recently, two months ago, it started to break out not only on an absolute, but also relative basis. So this is telling me that there's a potential upside here for a name like this. I'm going out to July, and I'm selling the 190, 180 put spread here, collecting about $6.70 for the 190 puts paying about $3 for the 180 puts. Net-net here, I'm collecting $3.70 on a $10 wide credit spread. Since then, this trade zoomed to a key level. Tony, what next? Yeah, so whenever you're able to collect more than 50% of the max gain in such a short amount of time, in this particular case, five days, it makes sense to simply take profits. You can buy this back earlier today for about $1.50 as opposed to holding it for the next 35 days, hoping to make that other $1.50 on this particular trade. So take your profits and move on to the next one. Mike, you do the same? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is a typical situation when you sell premium. Sometimes you have to wait until expiration arrives, basically, for all of that extrinsic premium to decay. But sometimes you get the move that you really needed, and that extrinsic premium essentially drops very, very quickly. And in those cases, you begin to increase the amount that you're risking relative to the reward you get for collecting that marginal amount. So it makes a lot of sense to try to cover those bets when you can. All right. Up next, we got tweets and the final call. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Options Action. Time for some tweets. Our first viewer asks, can we get an update on the GDX trade? It has worked well, and I would like to know if it makes sense to take profits at this point. Carter, what's your take? Sure. So the, the key here is, is uh, gold went 1,700 ounce to 19 in the past uh, two months. But what did the GDX do? went from 31 to 40. So gold goes up 14 percent, and that's the beauty of operating leverage of a business. GDX goes up 31 right, three times the, the commodity. At this point, I think you do take some profits. Ultimately, higher, but there's nothing wrong with reducing your exposure and then moving on, uh, staying in with what is left. Mike, your two cents? Yeah, I mean, the quick thing is, when we have option structures like this one, you actually can adjust the trade, so you can take a portion of your profits and just use that small quantity of that to press your bullish bets going out, and I think that's the way you want to do it. You can take some money off the table, but still play for further upside down the road. All right. Our next viewer asks, as someone with a smaller account, I like vertical spreads due to the smaller amount of premium needed. However, I don't have a strategy to find tickers that are good picks for spreads. What are some methods of finding stocks that are good for this? Tony, your advice. Uh, I would use a technical screener, look for some oversold stocks, but try to filter out stocks that are above $50. All right, good advice there. It is time now for the final call on this Friday for Options Action. Carter Braxtonworth, kick us off. Adobe uh, up and out. Tony Zhang. Okta buy put spread. Mike Coe. Adobe diagonals buy low implied ball, sell high implied ball. Makes sense. That does it for us for here on Options Action. We'll be back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.